0: This is Peter and Tricia welcoming you today to Great News and God's Views, a half-hour weekly broadcast on Free FM eighty-nine point zero, Independent Community Media. We can be contacted by email at Great News three seven six at gmail dot com. That is Great News three seven six at gmail dot com. We look forward to hearing from you. Today's worship theme: God wants to liberate us from the destructive power of sin. The beginning of faith. The theological arguments that Paul writes in Galatians 2.15-21 to 21 are precipitated by a much more practical problem, racial division. Paul took Peter to task over the issue of Gentile believers' freedom from obedience to Jewish ceremonial law. He reminds Peter and everyone else, Present for the dinner meeting, that to withdraw from the table of fellowship because of eating with Gentiles was hypocritical, inconsistent, and prejudicial. The gospel Jesus proclaimed brought salvation for both Jews and Gentiles by way of the cross and union with God. Peter's actions could be detrimental to the church's future. Peter took a courageous stand socially and an indispensable stand spiritually for the whole future of God's church. The consequences were important to that generation and for each successive generation until Jesus returns. Following the social stand comes the theological base. We read from Galatians chapter 2, beginning at 15. We who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the Gentiles, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, is therefore Christ a minister of sin? God forbid! For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor, for I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. The law had its place defining sin. The law Peter was following was in his withdrawal from the inner fellowship of the ceremonial law of the Jews. It was a cultic statute commanded by God in Old Testament times. These ceremonial laws followed the lines of regulations governing the sanctuary, offerings, circumcision, food, feasts, and festivals. These ceremonial laws were topologies waiting for fulfilment that would come only in Christ, Peter misinterpreted these ceremonial laws as God's moral law. The moral law is eternal and absolutely reflected in God's character. Moral laws cannot be changed. People cannot fulfil these demands on a human level. The law functions as a tutorial process to show people their sinfulness, but also their salvation through Jesus, who came to fulfil the law, not to destroy it. Faith has its place, defining salvation. The law points to a need for salvation. Faith places that need squarely on the answer. Jesus, the only hope of redemption. Paul tells us that Christ brings a new law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ, Romans 8, 2 Thus the ceremonial law is negated, and faith unifies both Jew and Jew on the same footing. Paul believed that the Gentiles had a firm grip on faith as a steadfast, trustworthy reliance upon God through Jesus Christ, just as the Jewish brothers had did. Salvation is for every Jew and Gentile alike as they reach out voluntarily to Jesus for forgiveness of sin. Grace has its place, defining righteousness. Grace points to a righteousness that leads to holiness. Richard Taylor skillfully wrote, it is not totally accurate to say that grace is the undeserved favour of God towards sinful man, especially if this be interpreted statistically. God's grace is dynamic. It is God's love in action empowering those whom God regards with favour. Even so it is clear that grace excludes every pretense of merit on the part of the recipient. Any legal conception of religion is excluded. Grace is God's free, unmerited, and non-legal way of dealing with sinful man. Paul understood grace and dramatically conveyed that to Peter and the Jewish believers. Our first music today: I will sing the wonder story. The words of this frequently sung hymn were written by F. H. Rowley, and the music by Peter B. Billhorn in eighteen sixty-six. The singer of this hymn today, George Beverly Shea was born in 1909 and died in 2013 at the age of 104. He was a Grammy Award-winning Canadian-born American gospel singer and hymn composer. He has often been described as America's beloved gospel singer and is considered to be the first international singing star of the gospel word as a consequence of his solos at Billy Graham Crusades and his exposure on radio, records and television. According to the Guinness Book of Records, Shea holds the world record for singing in person to the most people ever with an estimated cumulative light audience of 220 million people. His most popular songs are How Great the Art" and The Wonder of It All. He wrote both the words and music of The Wonder of It All. I Will Sing the Wonder Story.
1: will sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me. How he left his home in glory for the cross of Calvary. Yes, I'll sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me, sing it with the saints in glory, gathered by the crystal sea, I was lost, but Jesus found me. back into his way yes I'll sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me sing it with the saints in glory gathered
2: Suffer from high blood pressure, you're certainly not alone. The incidence of high blood pressure, also known as hypertension, is on the increase. To combat this problem, doctors can prescribe several types of medication which lower blood pressure by different mechanisms. It has long been thought that black people and white people respond differently to these different drugs, so doctors were advised to consider a patient's race when choosing which medication to prescribe. But research recently published in the medical journal Hypertension has shown that this approach is flawed. Researchers found that the variation between so-called races is much less than within each racial group, so the new recommendation is that race should not be a factor in deciding which medication to prescribe. It appears that the differences between racial groups aren't that significant after all, which is what we would expect from the Bible's history and teaching. To find out more from Creation Ministries International, visit our website, creation.com. You are listening
0: to Great News and God's Views, on FreeFM 89.0, Independent Community Media. We continue with Holy, 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 written by Reginald Heber in 1820. Its lyrics speak specifically of Holy Trinity, having been written for use on Trinity Sunday. John Beckersdyke composed the tune Nicaea for this hymn in 1861. And the tune name was attributed to the First Council of Nicaea, which formalized the doctrine of the Trinity in 325. It was sung in the 1953 film Titanic. Holy, holy, holy. <laughs> A classic case of contrasting character. The narrative in today's text, which you'll read shortly, demonstrates a classic case of contrasts. The three main characters are Simon the Pharisee, a sinful woman, probably a prostitute, and Jesus. As I understand the story, Simon has invited Jesus to dine with him and some other guests. While there, an unnamed prostitute enters the house and begins to deeply display gratitude to Jesus. She begins by crying tears of joy and wetting the feet of Jesus and then wiping them dry with her hair. She then kisses her feet and pours her expensive perfume on them. She responds this way because Jesus had earlier forgiven her of her sins before the narration of this specific event. The reason for this understanding of the events is due to the fact that some have convincingly pointed out that if the woman was forgiven only after having done these things to Jesus, then that goes contrary to the entire point of the story Jesus told to Simon. The point of Jesus' story was to teach that when a person is forgiven much, they love much in return, and when they're forgiven little, they love little in return. The woman was obviously forgiven much to show such love in return. We read from Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meat. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this woman is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And he, Jesus, turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman, I entered in thine house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven her, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven. The same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee, go in peace. And it came to pass afterwards that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. Within this narrative, we find three stark contrasts. These take place between Simon and the other two characters and involve their contrasting views and attitudes towards sinners, sin, forgiveness, and Jesus. The contrast between Simon and Jesus, their response to sinners. Simon, being a good Pharisee, would have kept his distance from women such as... Simon... Being a good Pharisee would have kept his distance from sinners such as this woman, for fear of becoming unclean and for fear that their sin might rob off on him. The word Pharisee means separated one. He also had an image to uphold and a good name to protect. His disdain and disgust for sinners like her would be apparent by his attitudes towards them. His self righteousness would render Simon unable to forgive. Jesus, however, let sinners like this woman touch him and get near him. He didn't keep his distance. Instead, Jesus often sought them out. If they came into his presence, he didn't run away. By being close, by listening, by being accessible, Jesus let sinners like this prostitute know that God cared and they could be forgiven. He showed compassion, and when they responded, Jesus forgave. The contrast between Simon and the woman. Their response to sin and forgiveness. In response to sin, Simon can surely see it in others, but not in his own life. He's an eagle-eyed sin hunter when it comes to spotting sin in the lives of other people, like the woman, but his eyes seem to fail him when he looks at his own life of sin. Not only is Simon blind to his own sin, but he also fails to see that Jesus is the source of forgiveness. The result was that Simon loved little, both God and others. The woman, however, had seen her own sin most clearly. She is strongly aware of the sin in her own life and therefore not hunting for sin in the lives of others, including Simon. In the end, her awareness of sin leads her to seek God's forgiveness through Jesus. The result was that the woman loved much both God and others. The contrast between Simon and the woman, their response to Jesus. Finally, both Simon and the woman responded differently to Jesus. Simon furnished no water, no towel, no kiss, and no oil on Jesus as he entered Simon's house. This behaviour displayed at best indifference and at worst disrespect. But the woman spontaneously offered her tears, her hair, her kisses, and her perfume in a touching display of love and gratitude. Isn't that interesting? For it appears that those who see their own sin can also see Jesus as the source of forgiveness, while those who see only the sin of others and are blind to their own sin are also blind to whom Jesus really is and what he can do for them. How many Christians are more like Simon than Jesus when it comes to relating and responding to sinners? How many Christians act more like Simon than the woman when it comes to responding to sin in their lives? And how many Christians, even after coming to Jesus, are still better at seeing the sin in others than themselves? How does your life contrast with Simon and the woman? We continue Great News and God's views with, In tenderness he sought me. Spencer Walden was a missionary and evangelist working with the South African General Mission at the end of the 19th century. He founded the Sailor's Rest in the city of Durban Natal, a region in South Africa, and he ministered to the spiritual needs of seamen there. During the Boer War, he distributed Bibles to the English soldiers. Spencer work, Salton's missionary work, is known mainly through the books and pamphlets he wrote. He was also credited with one hymn, In Tenderness He Sought Me, published in 19- 1894, and which we play now.
1: He sought me, weary and sick with sin, and on his shoulders brought me back to his fold again, while angels in his presence sang until the courts of heaven rang. Oh, the love that sought. He pointed to the nail prints For me his blood was shed A mocking crown so thorny, Was placed upon his head All right.
0: For copyright reasons, we can no longer broadcast in the Unshackled series. These are recreations of true stories of how people from differing backgrounds, with different problems such as drugs, alcohol, or living on the streets, have come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and so come to salvation. They are available to be downloaded by googling Unshackled and following the prompts. We continue with How Firm a Foundation. This was a favorite hymn of Robert E. Lee, a general in the Confederate Army of the American Civil War, and has been played at the funerals of several American politicians. On Christmas Eve in 1898, American units involved in the Spanish-American War joined together to sing the hymn. The units were both from the North and South of the USA that they should join together was still somewhat unusual in view of the ill-feeling still evident about the American Civil War 30 years before. How firm a foundation! Continue with Come Thou Fount, written by the English pastor and hymnist Robert Robinson at 22 years of age in 1757. <laughs> This is Peter and Tricia thanking you for joining us today for Great News and God's Views on Free FM 89.0 Independent Community Media. We invite you to listen every Sunday for a presentation of historic Bible-based Christianity highlighting preaching of the Word, classic songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. We use only the King James Bible, the authorised version. 89.0 is live streamed from freefm.org.nz or tune in and now on Amazon Echo devices using the free FM 89 Alexa skill. We'd love to hear your comments on this show. We can be contacted by email at greatnews376 at gmail.com. That is greatnews376 at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.